today we're going to look at another question uh, in, in terms of developing our capacities as, as, as disciples to engage with this community and to disciple people in communities. And we're looking at what is the process of transformation in communities. Hello and welcome again to another episode in our teaching series, which we've titled A Band of Disciples, A Band of Disciples. And the whole concept behind this series is to help you to become a better discipler, to equip, encourage and challenge you to go to the next level of your discipling capacity. And the whole metaphor that we're using for this series is that like musicians in a band, uh, we as uh, followers of Jesus grow and develop in community. We've looked uh, uh, so far, uh, uh, you know, concerning the discipling calling and, and your role as a discipler. We also have been uh, examining the idea of the band, uh, the discipling community. And it's a, a biblical and educational uh, grounding of that concept that we don't learn just by listening to someone, uh, you know, um, speak in a podcast or a church or even this video. Uh, we don't grow and develop merely by, uh, you know, engaging in activities. We don't just grow and develop merely by connecting with one person. We grow and develop in a band. Uh, and, uh, and today we're going to look at another question uh, in, in terms of developing our capacities as, as, as disciples to engage with this community and to disciple people in communities. And we're looking at what is the process of transformation in communities? What is the process of transformation in communities? If we're going to use communities to disciple others, what is the process of transformation. If you are like me, if you're a, a you know diehard, you know desperate discipler, you probably are aware of some things in your uh, you know repertoire that don't make sense, and you feel a little incompetent, and and you wish you could get some information and and develop some skills, and 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 you know encounter various experiences that could enable you to be the best discipler you could, for the sake of people that God entrusted to your care. Uh, it's probably our deepest desire, all of us, you included, for watching with us, that you want to be uh, the best possible discipler. And I don't know where that desire has come from, where is that destiny and plan that you have for yourself, but undoubtedly it's there. It's bubbling on the inside that, that, that um, you know, motivates you uh, to invest in becoming uh, a better uh, discipler. I, I genuinely could say that my dream uh, of becoming a discipler that assists people to live like Jesus may have come out of my childhood. 
I was born uh, to godly parents. They were genuine lovers of Jesus. My dad was a minister in a traditional church. And uh, growing up as a very, very young kid, I used to go to uh, the auditorium, the church where he preached weekly on a Thursday uh, um, evening. I think uh, also on a Tuesday, I was very young, maybe four, uh, five years uh, uh, old. And my mom would take me uh, to sit alongside thousands of people and listen to the anointed word of God being preached. And dad would stand at the bottom of the auditorium for potentially two hours after the service, shaking hands with people, praying over people, praying over sick people. He had uh, this metal cross that he placed on on people's head, and at the end of it, he you know he will blow and uh, you know like a a, a blessing uh, um, onto them, and 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 people will be so ecstatic with what God would do uh, through those heartfelt, faithful prayers. Well, my dad in a in a traditional church, used to wear a um, you know those black gowns that that, that men uh, wore, and he would have this metal cross. Well, I admired what was happening in his life, so I insisted uh, that I would stand nearby at the front of the auditorium, and I too would have a metal cross probably uh, you know, heavier than my little body, and I would pray over people. I obviously didn't know what language I was speaking. Maybe it was my first encounter with tongues, but people loved it. And uh, the queue used to be extended many, many, uh, you, you know, uh, pews behind waiting for the little crazy kid, four or five years old to pray over them. And I closed my eyes and faithfully prayed something. I hope they got healed. If they didn't, well, it's not my fault. I didn't know what I was saying. But guess what? I grew with, I grew up with this desire Desire, intense desire that I would see, you know, what my dad saw, you know, incredible move of God in, in the environment. And, uh, uh, you know, guess what? As uh, as uh, 30-year-old, I actually began uh, a full-time, uh, around 30 years of age, I began as a full-time minister in a church in Melbourne, Australia. And I was so far up to see a revival like my dad saw a revival and this uh, image of, of what I what I perceived myself as a follower of Jesus and as a disciple was growing more intense and more passionately in my heart. And we, uh, we, we began to do ministry in the church. And um, I was noticing that people weren't developing. You know, I imagined that if you preach the gospel and you prayed over people, everything changes. People get transformed. Well, it didn't work out quite like that. I was noticing and being entrusted with stories of people who said that they loved the Sunday, but their lives weren't being fully. Some people, their lives weren't being transformed. It wasn't aligned to their ambition and their hopes that they harbored on a Sunday to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. And both Susie and I began to, uh, you know, uh, share with others uh, the curriculum, a discipleship curriculum, uh, you know, and we we selected um, several uh, leaders that we, you know, we, we knew of their lifestyles to be a godly lifestyle, and we gave them this thick curriculum to go through three stages of 
spiritual development and, uh, and we you know, train them once or so and we release them to do the good thing. And, uh, and I will never forget, um, I share this every time uh, that I, I encounter people that want to learn about discipleship. I will never forget in May 2007, we had this uh, Connect Group Leaders meeting and they said to me, you know that curriculum? That discipleship curriculum is just not working. Some of them said the material is too hard for my participants. The others said uh, the material is too dumb for my participants. It's too superficial. It's like, is it hard? Is it superficial? And others said, you know, we can't see any transformation through that program. And uh, I remember going home that night. I think it was a Wednesday night. I honestly do not think that I slept that night. I, I felt the world was against me. It's like, man, I, I'm so desperate for this vision of, of being a disciple maker. And I have no idea why it's not working. And, uh, uh, and after picking myself off the floor eventually, I decided, you know what, the problem is not with these people. The problem is with me. I do not know how to help people learn and be transformed in discipling environment. And this journey started, uh, you know, launched me into, uh, you know, over 13 years of learning, experimenting, observing others and hearing other disciples doing amazing job and trying to glean ideas of that process of transformation. Because I, maybe like you, for a long time had adopted a particular process of transformation. And that is if people learn more, that means if we give them enough information, they're going to do more. They're going to change their behaviors, their actions, and their experiences would follow suit. And then they will be more. They will be some type of spiritual heroes. And they will develop an identity that just exudes the character of Jesus. They will pursue things that Jesus will pursue. That they would develop attributes and capacities that would transform their families and maybe their networks of friends and, and the like. I was so so uh, convinced that uh, uh, telling uh, eventually would impact people's behavior and eventually will impact who they are. But over the years, uh, uh, after significant amount of learning and conversing with people and reading and, and observing effective discipling environments, uh, we, we have a a different perspective to the transformation process that I hope I could do it justice today and share some aspects of it. Uh, some of these things come from theories of experiential learning. Uh, some of these come from uh, people that you know deal with the idea of communities of practice, social theorists, as we indicated in the previous uh, couple of sessions. Uh, you know, some of this comes from uh, you know educational philosophers, and uh, an idea comes from uh, a particular theologian who wrote a book, Desiring the Kingdom. Uh, and uh, and combine all together, uh, we have a simple approach that I hope to share with you briefly today. And the first concept about transformation that I want to share is the idea that most adults are changed 
in experiences and reflecting on their experiences. So uh, taking me as an example, as a minister who is fired up about helping people grow and develop and become Jesus-like disciples, I was doing everything, all the practices that I could do, I almost, you know, wanted revival. So I was also doing the prayer thing, the prayer walking in the community. We were doing the preaching, the authentic gospel of Jesus. We were doing fasting, all this type of stuff, investing in people. And we were learning through all of that. But then we encountered a problem. And we'll call this May 2007. And I realized that I don't know what I'm doing as well as I hoped I could. And that stopped me in my tracks, helped me connect with other more experienced people, have conversations and decide, you know what? I think I don't have what it takes. I don't know what I'm doing. And that is exactly how musicians learn. Musicians, you know, jam together, they practice different things, they come up with different tunes, and then suddenly they may experience a problem. Something that prohibiting them from being the experts that they want to be, the talented musicians they, they hope to, uh, to, to become. Uh, something hinders them from becoming what they hope to be, the type of people they hope to be. So what do they do? They stop and say, what's working? What's not working? What, are, what have other people have done about that? Who can I communicate with? Who can I learn from? What you know, resources can I get? What you know, uh, questions can I come up with? What, what, what people can assist me in you know, investigating those questions? And that's the first for adults. Uh, that uh, dilemma, what they call disjuncture, that problem actually motivates us to do something about the desire, the type of person that we want to become. Because if I wasn't genuinely interested to become a discipler, I'd say, oh, don't worry about it. I'll do something else. When the problem occurred in 2007, say, don't worry. I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to focus my energy on something else, either in pastoring, I'll become a counselor in pastoring, I'll become a, just simply a, a preacher in, in my pastoring, or I'm going to resolve to being, you know, a revivalist with big events. Or I'd say, forget all this pastoring thing. It's not really worth it. So when I encountered the problem, that gave the motivation, the energy that facilitated this discovery experience. But as I just said, experience and reflecting on our experience provide learning. But first and foremost, that comes from a significant desire to be a certain type of person. In my case, I wanted to be that revivalist that I saw in my, fa in my family, particularly in my father's ministry, that I read about. I specifically at this stage, I was reading and watching videos in transformation, uh, videos that spoke of different areas around the world, different regions that were experiencing revival. And man, it fueled my desire to be that revivalist. You know, to be, uh, you know, that type of person that God uses for trans genuine transformation in the community. So this desire facilitated the effort for me to do what I needed to do. And when the problem uh, came, then I reflected. And as a result of that reflection, 
I amended my desire. I reconceived. I could reject that desire. I could say, no, I'm not interested in becoming a discipler. Or I could say, you know what? I want to learn how to be a better discipler. Amended my desire. I now wanted to be a learner that can eventually become a better discipler. So I didn't change the desire. But I changed the way I desired to be that type of person. I wanted to be a learning discipler, not just an active discipler. And that is exactly what happens with band members. It happens in your work environment. And I dare say it happens in your discipling experience and happens with every disciple of Jesus. They have a view of themselves. And if they have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, that view of themselves, which we often call the possibility, it's either one of two things there. One of two big desires, if you like. I want to be the, the, the just me person that is going to be successful and rich and liked and approved and this, this and that. It's all about me, you know, the, the I plus me. Or I have a different category of desires, not alienated from God, but a desire that is found in Christ. And that desire is to be more of what Jesus is, an expression of his character and an expression of his competence. I want to be a person that is compatible with the life of Jesus, right? So there are two categories of desires. They are fueling all our energy. And when we encounter uh, in our experiences, little problems, sometimes we amend our behavior. But sometimes those problems are so threatening, are, are so confronting to our becoming that type of person that they force us to stop and think and potentially uh, reconsider uh, our assumptions. So if somebody in your discipling environment is so uh, fired up about a particular activity, or fired up about a particular job, or fired up about a particular relationship. You don't necessarily um, uh, need to talk to them about the relationship if you feel like that relationship isn't quite right for a follower of Jesus. You don't need to talk to them just simply about you know, their hunger for money and affluence. Uh, you don't need to talk to them about you know, the power. But you need to ask them, what are the assumptions that they have about what would give them the best possible life? And as you keep asking and helping them or help them to, to, to reflect on their assumptions, you will realize that their assumptions, their values, their convictions would say, you know what, I'll have the best life if I have money. I'm going to enjoy my life the most if I have this particular person you know, of the opposite gender or whatever it might be that is giving me attention. Uh, I, I'm going to have the best possible life if, if I'm busy with this particular entrepreneurial uh, experience. I don't know what it is, but you help them dig deep to see what's motivating the desire. Because the desire is basically sitting on some sort of an assumption or what if the good life looks like. If I'm accepted, if I'm successful, if I'm approved, if I'm, you know, whatever, good looking... All those desires are one desires to assert myself. But then there is other desires that are waiting to be unleashed. 
and they resemble, smell like, look like the person of Jesus. So that's the, the big thing about helping people see their assumptions so that they can change automatically their desire, just like my desire changed and set me up to 13 years of hard work. Who would invest 13 years of hard work on one single topic that cost a huge amount of money, incredible amount of time and prevent me from doing other things that are easy and fun? Uh, unless there's a, a, a deep-seated conviction that this is the best possible way I could spend my life, right? So we talk about transformation. It could begin with a desire that influences our effort. And this effort enables us to experience different things as we attempt different things. And as long as things are going okay and, and automatic, you know, we become an autopilot, so to speak. Uh, you probably know that you never uh, realize what, what, what did you do, what was happening on the road between work and home, right? Uh, it, because it's, you become automated in, in all autopilot. But if there was an accident and you had to take a, you know, another path or alternative route, guess what? You will remember that because the problem made you think, stop and think and amend uh, your approach. So desire leads to effort that, allows us to have certain experiences in life. Those experiences, it change our capacity, maneuver our activities. And when we encounter a significant problem, then we reflect on it and decide to amend uh, our uh, desires. Uh, I want to tell you what happens on the inside. So this is what happens on the outside. On the inside, our experiences gives us a uh, uh, greater capacity and competencies about what we're doing, regardless what we're doing, the, the, the type of stuff uh, we're engaging. So as a, as a preacher, the more I engage with preaching and amended my ways because of some feedback or some observations or something I read, well, that's not big problems, um, but it's enhancing my preaching skills. Uh, with uh, teaching people uh, the discipleship curriculum that I was part of, uh, you know, that we initiated in the church, I was getting better at doing that in the time uh, that, that, that I was leading those uh, connect group leaders. However, um, whatever you are involved in, you're getting better competency the more you do it. And, and you are realigned. Like you're not doing it like a, a machine. You're always adjusting. Can I do this a little differently? If I'm a teacher uh, at school, can I engage in managing the classroom a little differently? If I'm a, um, a, a, you know, a, a person in a, in a business, can I market this particular product a little differently? Uh, if I'm a sports person, an athlete, uh, can I change my routine a little bit so that I can gain this extra one percenter. Whoever and, you know, whatever the, the industry you're part of, your experiences and your adjustments uh, enable you to be more competent person at what you're doing. And when we feel that we're competent in a particular thing, we begin to see our nature, ourselves as that type of person. So I begin to see myself as the preacher. I begin to see myself as the discipler. I begin to see myself as, you know, whatever it is. 
uh, you know, uh, you begin to see yourself with a, a, a better self-view, very, better self-concept because you notice that you have perceived competence. You, 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 you're noticing that you've got capacities that maybe were dormant in, in you, but they're coming to the surface. That same thing happens even with our traits, not just with our skills. You know, if you're a, a little bit more kinder and you, and you get some feedback that is helpful or you notice some outcomes that is helpful, you become to see yourself, you know, a more competent, kind person. And I am a kind person. <laughs> and that can influence your desires as well and influences your convictions. Whatever that you are getting better at, that influences your desire to have more expressions of that and influences your conviction that this is the better way of living, right? So uh, that happens both ways. When you see yourself in a particular um uh, in a particular view, that gives you more conviction that that's the way you want to be. That's your value. I, uh, I, yeah, I believe in humility. Yes, I believe in investment in others. Yes, I believe in kindness. Yes, I believe in courtesy. Uh, you become part of who you are. Your competences, your capacities, and your convictions form your opinion of who you are. This is the stories you're telling yourself. Ah, you know, uh, it's so much better uh, to, to give other people the, the you know the first place. I I find more gladness in 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 withholding uh, you know um, myself from saying something stupid or whatever it might be. You build your convictions, and as you build co your convictions, which are your assumptions, you reflect on all of that and change, amend, or reinforce your desire, and so it becomes a of desire, experience, our nature, and our reflection, and they all feed in each other. Say, so say to me, Peter, for someone I'm discipling, where do I start? I say, start anywhere, because we all change and develop from any way. So, uh, you know, you might want to be, um, uh, say, for example, you want to be a doctor. It might start with a desire that you you have in mind a particular way of life, a certain type of future that will be available to you if you're a doctor. And that would enable you to do some experiences, to invest some effort uh, as, as studying, engaging in, 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 in uh, some sort of uh, society that helps with that, in, in working in some sort of placements and so on, connecting with people in the industry. And the more you do that stuff, it reinforces your desire. Oh man, when I went into that placement and I, and I was able to help this particular patient, I love that. It enforces your desire you want to be a doctor. But at the same time, you become a more proficient uh, medical student. And you begin to see yourself. I have some capacities of being a doctor. And that enforces your desire. That gives you convictions. Yes, I'm capable. Yes, I've got what it takes. Or if I work hard like I worked hard in the last uh, you know, project that I had, I I'm going to get better at this. I've got the capacities. And this gives you convictions. And as you reflect more on your assumptions and your convictions, that facilitates an amended desire. Usually a reinforced desire. Yes, it's worth putting the energy to be that type of a doctor and so on. 
in, in life with Jesus, it's exactly the same thing. It might start with a desire. It actually might start with an experience where people engage in particular practices, discipling practices such as soap or such as setting goals or such as spending time in worship. And they say, oh yeah, I didn't know that, but I now feel like I want to be that type of person that does soaps. <laughs> I want to be that type of person that is going to be immersed in God's Word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be that type of person that, that set goals with God. And I, I want to be that person. So it might start with a practice and experience that ignites the desire. And as that desire uh, fuels energy, you keep doing it better and better and better and harder and you work on it with joy. And then you say, I'm getting better at this. I actually, I'm, I'm, I'm able to obey God more consistently now. I'm loving that type of person that I am. You know what? I am an obedient child of God. I can see the Holy Spirit working on my nature. I can see smell of Jesus in my new nature. Yeah, I can see myself like that. I can see myself as, as a kind person. And that fuels your desire to be like Jesus as a kind person. It gives you convictions that actually enable you to reinforce to yourself it's worth the hard yards. It's worth doing the hard yards to be that type of of person and the cycle goes on and on and on you could start with helping people reflect on why they do life the way they're doing it and then that reflection helps them to figure out their convictions and impacts their nature as well as impacts their desires and that fuels their energy if we're going to see people transform we need to work with them deeper than the surface. It's not knowledge so that they can, you know, put band-aid on whatever mess and hopefully they're going to be healed in the future. That's, that's, that's not the way. We deal with the core so that the symptoms are aligned to the core. I hope that through this uh, little journey you've seen from my life and maybe you can now implement it in your own uh, life to, to, to be able to gauge where I am and what's actually helped me to transform as a disciple of Jesus and a discipler of Jesus. And how can I begin to utilize some of those things to ask questions and to be aware of the needs of the people in my community that I'm discipling. You don't have to show them this, but you have it in the back of your mind mind and as you work on their desires help them see the desires that fueling their actions as you assist them with some experiences as you help them reflect on their assumptions as you mirror to them their nature in Christ the, the process of transformation takes place and next session we have together I will show you the role of the community in facilitating this process of transformation until then be utterly blessed in Jesus <laughs>